I was given the beautiful task to talk to you guys about a very interesting and important story, which is the story of David and Jonathan, all right? But before I start there, let me ask a few questions, all right? Because I always like to start with questions. How many people do you know? So if you know maybe like 50 to 60 people, please raise your hand right quick. All right, two of you, shame, shame. How many of you guys know maybe like 70 or 80 people? Raise your hand. All right. Maybe 100, 120? Maybe 200? No, you're lying. <laughs> this is what it is. Some researchers have proven that we only have the, the capacity to know maybe, the, maybe up to 120 people. We, we can do more than that. But, but here, here it is, because there's a difference between knowing people and really knowing people, right? When you really know somebody, someone that you, you might know their likes or dislikes, their passions and their dreams, their good things and their bad habits, how many people do you really know? Actually, let's make this harder. Because from your list of people you know, I would like you to subtract parents. I would like you then to subtract siblings. I would like you even to subtract, if you're married, spouse. So when you come to see, the amount of people that you really know might be five, maybe less. Here's an even harder question. How many people do really know you? How many people do really know you? You know, that's such an important question. It doesn't matter if here you're, this morning you're a Christian or not. If you're thinking about that, you're searching to see what's in Christianity or not. Or if you are forever a Christian or not. At the end of the day, that question... Or those questions, how many people you really know, and how many people do really, how, how many people know you, it's a really important question. And let me give you two reasons for that. Number one, is because no, none of us here this morning, none of us here today, want to feel lonely or want to be alone. It doesn't matter if you say, look, it's all about me and God, it's all about my relationship with Him. I don't need anybody. I could be a lone ranger. I, it doesn't really matter if you say that. You know that that's not true. Actually, I was doing, when I was doing my little research here, I found a, a good group of famous people, popular people, people surrounded by others that they felt so lonely. An Oscar-winning actress says, loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to take care, take care for or someone who will care for me. An Oscar-winning actress. The director of the movie The Avengers, not recommending the movie, I'm just quoting something here. Loneliness is about the scariest thing out there. Albert Einstein. It is strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Ernest Hemingway, 
I live in a vacuum that is as lonely as a radio tube when the batteries are dead and there is no current to plug into. Marilyn Monroe, sometimes I think the only people who stay with me and really listen are the people I hire, the people I pay. Mother Teresa once said, the worst disease was not leprosy, AIDS or cancer, but loneliness. That is true for every single one of us. We are afraid of being lonely. We are afraid of being alone. Nobody wants to be like that. It doesn't matter if you say it, you still don't believe it. And that leads me to a second, that, that pushes me to a second point. Why is it that we're like that? It's because we were created in the image of God, and God is a relational being. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect harmony, perfect unity, relational being. And if you were created in his image, you are a relational being. You don't function well without meaningful relationships. No one can survive without meaningful relationships. No one. We were designed like that. You know where that comes from? Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates everything and he says that it was very, it was good. It was good. It was good. And then at the end, he creates Adam and he, and he says, it was very good. So picture here Adam in a perfect place with perfect things. In a perfect relationship with God, and yet in chapter 2, verse 18, God says this. It was not good that man should be alone. Don't you struggle with that verse? Are you struggle with that verse? You know why? Because Adam has God. Perfect relationship with God. Sin comes in chapter 3. This is chapter 2. Why would God say that? Wasn't him enough? Well, Jonathan Edwards gave a perfect explanation what that is. He says that we were designed in such a way that God, no, we were designed in such a way that we also need other human beings. God designed it in such a way that in our heart there's a place that cannot even be filled by God. It needs to be filled with a human being. He puts it this way. Not even paradise was enough without another human being. Isn't that crazy? You and I were not, we were, we were not designed to live by ourselves. We are relational beings. We need others. We crave others. That's how we were designed. It is with that understanding that we, we have to come to the story of David and Jonathan. It is with that understanding that we could actually understand why is it that David and Jonathan were so close. And in that story, we're going to see three things. We're going to see what it means to have a real friend. Not just a friend, a real friend. We're going to see how difficult it is for us to have a real friend. 
And if God allows it, we're going to see how is it that we become one. What does it mean to have a real friend? How, why is it so difficult to become real friends or have be real friends and how do we become one? So I need you to do me a favor. I want you to look at the person next to you and ask this question. Do you want to be my friend? Go ahead, go ahead. All right, you guys are so disobedient. Let's do it again and louder. Do you want to be my friend? All right, let's come back over here then. Look at this is very interesting because in the context of the story, 1 Samuel chapter 17 shows us the story of David defeating Goliath, right? But in chapter 18 is when Jonathan and David meet. Well, they, meet, they met before, but this is when they become friends. So if you have your Bible with you, please go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we are going to read just verse 1. If you're with me, please say amen. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. If I were to translate that in my own words, I would say that they became soulmates. The ESV translates that phrase as Jonathan was need to the soul of David. You know, there's people that look at that verse and they want to make of that passage something romantic. There's nothing romantic about that verse. It's a manly verse. It's a verse in which two men could love each other in a non-romantic law. And yet could be completely united as one spirit. Actually, the word spirit right there, you could translate it as creature. David and Jonathan were like one creature. They were so needed together because they were real friends, close friends, not just comrades, not just companions, real friends. That might be the reason why in Proverbs 18.24, it says that there's a friend, singular, who sticks closer than a brother. Now, in our context, that might not make much sense because we are very family-centered, right? We love our families. We take care of to God designed. And for this culture as well, family is very important. So I don't think that the text is trying to undermine family relationships. I think that he's talking about a different thing. So in the culture, for example, they're so family-centered that families and the extension of the families live together. It's like little villages of all one family. Just like us, right? Here in DuPage and Chicago. They're so close together that actually the brother, the older brother... If his little sister or his little brother are struggling, he has the responsibility to provide for them. They're so close that him, uh, him by himself, needs to take care of all the needs of everybody else if nobody else has anything. But this is the difference between a brother like that and a friend. That you could be a brother like that because you want to. Or because you have to. You actually don't have an option if you're living in this culture. 
You have to provide. What's the difference then between a brother and a friend? That a friend chooses to. It's never an obligation. He chooses to be one with a person. She chooses to be one with a person. She or he chooses to be needed together with a person. He or she chooses to be one person all together, one creature all together. Real friendship is when two or three or four individuals choose to be needed together as one spirit, as one creature. That's real friendship. Do you have that? Are you like that? If you don't have that and you're not like that, you got to question why. Because you don't function well with that relationship. That is the first thing that we see, but we also see something more, even more amazing here in verse 3. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved them as himself. And we got this amazing word right there, the word covenant. It's a word that we use in the context of our church, in the context of the church, when we talk about marriage. Right? Marriage is supposed to be a covenant. But why would the Bible talk about covenant when it's talking about friendship? Well, here, because there's a, whole, there's, there's a difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, you do your share, I do my share. You do your part, I do my part. If you're renting something or buying something, you don't pay for that stuff, you lose it right away. It's a contract. But God is not talking about friendship in terms of a contract. Jonathan does not use the word contract. He uses the word covenant. And if you want a simple definition of that, it's like this. A covenant is a person that binds himself or herself to another person for the sake of another person. It's a commitment to acceptance, loyalty, and trustworthiness. It's one-way commitment, one-way love. It is binding yourself to someone for the good times and especially for the rough times. Now, we don't have the time to read all chapters 18 to 20. But if you read the whole story, you're going to see that the Jonathan and, and David appears four different times. It starts here in chapter 1, when it's the, the covenant initiation, if you will. Later on, you, you jump to chapter 19, and the word covenant appears in a different way. But then you jump to chapter 20, the very last section, second to last time when Jonathan sees David. And the, the concept of covenant appears again look at here verse 41 chapter 20 verse 41 after the boy had gone let me give you a little bit of context there david was hiding because he was uh, running away from saul so after the boy had gone david got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before jonathan three times with his face to the ground then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Let me read that part here because I don't know how many machos are here. 
Then they kissed each other and wept together. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Real men could kiss in a godly way. But what is interesting about that is that that term, bow down, in that culture, in that setting, meant two things. Respect, but also commitment. So when someone bows before somebody like that, he's saying, I will commit to you just as much you commit to me. I will make a covenant with you just as much you make a covenant with me. And in verse 42, they make it even more clear. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. That might be the reason why Proverbs 17 says that a friend loves at all times. It's not every now and then. A friend loves at all times. Actually, Proverbs 17, when it says that, that word love, it is the same word that is used in Proverbs 18 when it talks about friend. Two different chapters using the same word meaning two things, friend and love. And the explanation is really simple. A real friend always loves. And a person that loves is always a real friend. Can you see how the Bible elevates friendship? Can you see the description of friendship in the scripture is completely different to what we see in the world? It might be completely different to your definition of friendship. Look at here in our society, in the way we live, in our world, we have what we call useful friends. You know, the useful friend is the one that you have when you need him or her. That's a useful friend. But what happened with that type of relationship? As, as soon as you stop having, the person stops you being useful, that useful friend becomes a disposable friend. And you say, next. Well, that might not be your case, but maybe you have what we call pleasure friends. It's the ones that you have fun with. It's the ones that you play video games with. Well, hopefully that's not true. But this is the thing. You could have a pleasure friend, but the moment this friend tells you something that you need to hear... That you might not want to hear, that friend also be becomes a disposable friend. Interesting, because Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what a real friend does? He or she could have fun with you. He or she could be useful to you. You could be useful to people. You could have fun with other people. But if a friend cannot wound you in love for the sake of your soul, that's not a friend. That's a companion. That's a comrade. But a real friend would wound you if it's necessary for your soul. Look, I, I, I'm not a man of many friends. Actually, I'm, I'm barely a man. 
But God has surrounded me, because I'm barely a man, God has surrounded me with, with a few good friends. One of them, my wife, because that's what sustains marriage, friendship. I hope you know that. You know that time, as time goes by, you lose romanticism probably. You'll probably lose looks. Matt Chandler says, gravity wins. And when you get to heaven, you don't have that marriage anywhere. But you know the only thing that you will keep forever? Friendship. I want to be a best friend with my wife. But not only that God gave me, but he gave me other friends. And I'm thinking of one specific friend that's always been there for me. When I say be there for me, is in the good times and the bad times. He was there when I converted. He was there when I got married. He was there when, when my daughters uh, uh, came into the world. He was there when I became a pastor. He was there when I was doubting if I should be a pastor. I remember this one time. I'm struggling with, with thoughts and stuff like that. And I go into his office and I say, uh, you know, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with all this stuff. And then he tells me two things. He says, well, if God placed you there, lead. If God placed you there, lead. You have no idea how much freedom that gave me. Another time I go into his office with all my struggles and all my sins, because I'm barely a man. And I say, oh, can, can you do me a favor? Can you please pray for me? And we all do that, right? When we struggle, we go to people and we say, can you pray for me? That's easy. Very easy. But him being a great friend, he didn't stop there. He started asking questions. And I'm like, what? I just asked you to pray, bro. Just pray. Leave it there. No need to get all intimate. <laughs> he did not let me go. And he started to push, going after my heart, to show me my sin. And to show me why, why, why was I struggling so much. That's a real friend. You know that I hated that day? But he was so needed. Do you have anybody like that? Are you like that? You don't function well without relationships. You won't make it without friends. You were designed like that. You need to be surrounded by people like that. God raised Jonathan for David in the midst of trouble. God raised Jonathan for David for this specific time. If Jonathan would not be there, we wouldn't have David. You know how important that is? That might be the reason why Eugene Peterson said this, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of her spirituality. It's every, it is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. 
like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. That might be a bit of an exaggeration on his part. But he does understand the importance of friendship. Real friendship is not about contracts. It's about covenant. It's about committing to each other. It's to be committed to acceptance, loyalty, trustworthiness, and truth. Now here's the question that you might be asking. Why then is it so hard for us to have friends? And if you're like me, my tendency is to blame everybody else. And sometimes I even blame God. You know, like Adam. You gave me her. But I think that the Bible makes it really clear, I think. Why is it that we struggle so much having real friends? And let me give you three reasons really quick. Number one, because it takes time and energy. It takes making time for people. It takes you dying to yourself so you got time for people. And you know how hard that is. We are so busy trying to be somebody that we don't have time for people. Number two, because we think that friendship can be manufactured or fabricated. We think that we could actually, by playing around or going to the movies or listening, you could actually create friendship. But friendship is something that God does. David did not look for Jonathan. Jonathan did not look for David. God brought them together. That's why the local church is so important. That's why you got to look around and see that there's a bunch of people in need of a friend. That's why you got to look around because you are in need of a friend. Friendship is when two people are walking in the same direction with the same beliefs. Ralph Waldo Emerson in the 1800s said this, Friendship is walking in the same direction, seeking the same truths, having the same goals, and at the end you turn around and say, oh, you too? Isn't that a beautiful quote? That's why C.S. Lewis, we, he, he was the one that hijacked this verse, this thing. He also called friendships fellow travelers. Let me give you a third reason why we struggle with that. Because we hate to be vulnerable. Chapter 20, verse 1, David is having a conversation with Jonathan. And he asked this, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? You know what David is doing, right? He's being vulnerable. He's putting himself out there right in front of Jonathan and says, look at man, if there's sin in me, let me know. If I have done anything wrong, please let me know. Here's my heart. He's open to you. Tell me what's wrong with me. 
You know, li- listen, I believe in accountability, friends. And I believe in accountability groups. But I also know that in many of those times, people lie. And that you're not as open as you think you are. And that you might say only the things that you want to say. And you know why we do that? Because we're afraid of people. We're slave to opinions. Our identity is rooted in whatever you think of me. And like that, you can never have friends. Because you're not vulnerable enough before people. You know why we don't tell our stuff to people? Because the moment we say it, they have the right. No, if the moment they say it to you, you have the right to ask the question. When I open myself to somebody, automatically I'm giving that person the right to speak into my heart. And that is so hard. Last week I was hearing about this pastor. I was in ministry for about five years. The last two years of the ministry, things started to change. And one of my friends found him in, in a store selling things. So I approached him and says, what are you doing here? Are you like doing like a part-time now or what are you doing? He says, no, I'm taking a sabbatical. He says, well, how about you go out and have a cup of coffee? So they go, they go out and have a cup of coffee. And during the meeting, he said, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. I had to quit ministry because I committed adultery. So my friend asked him, okay, if, if you could go back two years, what would you do different? And listen to what he says. Being honest about my struggles. Being honest about my struggles. To have real friendship, it requires time and energy. It requires dying to yourself. It requires you learning how to be vulnerable. Unless you have that, you will not function well. Paradise is not enough without people. Now, you might be saying, Hannibal, that's so easy for you to say. You got friends. Well, I know that this is hard. Believe me, I just told you that I hate it when my friend started asking questions. I still hate it when my wife asks questions. But this is what I learned. That as long as I'm not free from the fear of men, I will never be vulnerable. How do we get that freedom? How do we do that? How do we become a friend like that? Well, stop looking in others what you could have in Jesus. The ultimate friend. The better David and the better Jonathan. The one that made a covenant with you. The one that went to the cross, showed himself completely vulnerable so you could be forgiven. So you could be accepted. So you could be loved. And there's nothing, the Bible says, nothing that could separate, separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's a covenant. In him, we have the ultimate friend, the one that sticks closer than a brother, the one that is going to grab you and never let you go. That's the friend that you have. 
That is the friend you need. That is the friend you desire. As long as if you don't have him like that, you will never be able to be a friend to anybody else. You will never let anybody else into your life. A real friend goes in and lets in. Do you know why we do the communion so often? Well, one of the reasons here why we celebrate communion is because we forget. We forget that we got the ultimate friend next to us. We forget that we got a friend so close, so close to us, that not only is going to speak to us about our sin, but he's going to die for us in our place. That's why we have communion. That's why we use the elements. So we could see and taste the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our friend, dying for us. Do you have that? Have you forgotten about that? As you participate in communion this morning, my invitation is that you draw near to Jesus. Your ultimate friend. Your best friend. The better friend. And when you have that, not only you will be reminded of him and what he did for you, but that will give you freedom to look around and be a friend to others.